0: Lost Hope Radio. This is your host, Mitchell J. Raven, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. We are going to be continuing with a series that we've begun, actually quite a while ago, on the environment. And, of course, we always continue with environment and personal health. They are really inextricable, and we deal with each one as a separate and as a unity because we have to. Because that's the way nature set it up. So to deal with personal health, human health, we deal with the health of the environment and vice versa. So on that note today we're going to be looking particularly at a subject that is very disturbing to really consider in its full depth and scope because it is ubiquitous and that subject is plastics. Plastic is pervasive. In almost every single thing we see, everything we touch in our environment, plastics have taken over. Just as uh, the film that we uh, highlighted recently called Bag on the other uh, radio show that I do, Progressive Film Hour with Mitchell Rabin, on Monday nights at 9 p.m., we interviewed uh, Suzanne Barraza, Uh, the filmmaker who made the film, as well as Professor Fred Bamsal, who is our guest today. And we talked about uh, this subject, and one of the great parts of the film was the quote, a clip from the film uh, with Dustin Hoffman, The Graduate. If you remember, uh, the man with whom he was having an affair with his wife uh, put his arm around Dustin and said, if you want a good future, young man, go into plastics. That's right. And that was back in the 60s. And we've been either chuckling about that or crying about it ever since. And as we have really come to take stock of what plastics do to our own bodies, as well as to the body of our precious earth, we have turned from chuckling, chuckling to crying. And uh, Dr. Uh, Professor Fred Bumsal, who will be joining us in a moment, is one of those who has been blowing the whistle loud and clear across the world, in Japan and England, everywhere he goes, he gets invited to speak as one of the foremost experts on the subject of the effect of the estrogens in plastic, of BPA in plastic, what it's really doing to us, what it's not, as well as even what diseases can be rather readily linked, not just correlated, with the presence, as I said before, the ubiquitous presence of plastics on our our planet. A few words first before we launch in. I just want to give you some idea of Professor Vamsal's background. He was given the Heinz Award in the fall of 2010. He's a biologist at the University of Missouri at Columbia. He is known for discovering health problems linked to exposure to common chemicals in everyday products such as Bisphenol A, commonly known as BPA, a widely used ingredient in consumer products. Dr. Bamsal's work has opened new questions about the safety of many chemicals which had been thought safe based on traditional methods used in toxicology. He has helped to turn around the traditional assumptions made in that kind of science and has opened up a whole new way of doing the testing so that we can get, actually, much more accurate scientific results. So, Fred Vamsal, are you on with me now?
1: Yes, good evening, Mitchell.
0: A pleasure, good evening, to have you on again. Really appreciate your input and your uh, vast uh, experience and knowledge of the subject here that is so obviously essential for all of us, all of us humans to know, wouldn't you say, Fred? Yes, uh, because it's
1: really up to each person to try to deal with the problem associated with plastic chemicals, because there isn't really any government agency in the United States uh, that has um, the authority to do much about any of this. And, uh, they don't have the authority, also, or they do
0: not exercise the authority?
1: Well, no, actually, our, when the laws concerning, for instance, uh, chemicals that are used in food came into effect, all chemicals in existence were declared safe under a statute called generally regarded as safe, grants, not the kind you smoke, but that's a legislative uh, term. I see. And right. It means that, essentially, since then as well, practically every chemical that is brought to market is automatically declared safe because nobody knows anything about it. So in other words, sort of the proven idea that safe means it's been tested. That's not true. So when did this law pass? Um the generally regarded as safe, I don't know, it's been in existence since the at least the nineteen
0: sixties. Since the uh, BPA,
1: for instance, yes. was declared generally regarded as safe in nineteen sixty three. And once it's given that designation, the FDA in 2010 said that Congress would have to write a new chemical safety law for them to even go to industry and ask where BPA, which 15 billion pounds of BPA are made a year. And the FDA, under current law, cannot even find out what products it's in, that's what they said. Nor can the EPA? Well, the EPA doesn't cover food contact items, for instance. Um, But it does cover chemicals. They are concerned with what's in our water and what's in the environment, Um, and that's going to be certainly part of what we're talking about because Landfill leaching and exactly. oceans are just full of plastic contamination. But, I mean, as soon as uh, there's
0: plastic, a, a plastic container, it is in our environment. It might be in the environment of our refrigerator or our closet, but it is in our environment. So well, this there is are where this is a point fight. between the agencies. I and the
1: government divides things up in some very interesting and arcane ways. Um but if it's a so po- if, in if
0: if in, in other words, let me just uh, reinterpret this for a moment here, Fred. Uh if the BPA was declared safe in nineteen sixty three, then grass must have passed, no silly pun intended, and ironic as it is, grass passed, had to have been prior then to 1963. And that means that the chemical industry, we can reasonably suppose, had been sufficiently strong then to strong arm the legislative branch of our government to get a law like that passed that has no merit in itself, relative to protecting the American people.
1: Yeah, there's a great PhD dissertation that was turned into a book from, uh, written by uh, a scientist, historian, uh, slash all of the above, Sarah Vogel, and it's called, Is It Safe? And in that book, she interviews extensively, the chief lawyer, Jerome Heckman, for the plastic industry, who has been their chief lawyer for since going back to the, I think, the late 1950s. So, I mean, he's really old now, and he bragged about exactly what you said, which is how he personally corrupted the legislative process so that all of what we're talking about could become law in the United States
0: god bragg. that in other words he was able to exert such political influence back then to have established said law
1: absolutely and uh, he now is um, you know the heckman law firm is one of the largest lobbying uh <laughs> firms in, the, in the world, I think.
0: Oh, my God. Even, even through. This is just a sad situation. So, But I'm really uh, glad that you're taking us down this kind of historical highway so we have some sense of the interface of governments with the plastics and the chemical industry and where we are today and where we should be. And so... Has there been any subsequent legislation that has done anything in any way to protect us? The Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, anything? So in this once respect, the once that chemical is practice.
1: so once the chemical is declared safe, it's yeah, uh, it's safe and that's all there is to it, until you prove essentially, that it's killing people. And even then, the political power of the American Chemistry Council and the amount of money they have is so staggering that this is why it's really up to individuals to manage your own life because um, just in terms of, for instance, uh California trying to ban BPA in baby bottles and some baby toys. It's estimated that the American Chemistry Council uh, and their plastic affiliates and stuff spent somewhere around $20 million just in California fighting that legislation, which took about five years to pass and eventually passed even though there was just staggering amounts of money spent fighting the uh, attempt in California to pass the legislation. So another part of the story here is that there are just a very large number of chemicals used in plastic And no federal agency has any idea what those chemicals are and how harmful they are. And there are somewhere in the range, according to the FDA, um, uh, they acknowledge there are about 1,000 publications about the health effects and the harm caused by BPA. And yet, they are not willing or able to move and uh, do anything to regulate this chemical. It's only happening on a state-by-state basis. I think uh, as of now, 11 states have passed legislation. And if the current bill in Congress, the Safe Chemical Act, passes, it includes preemption so that the federal government would then be the only uh, unit that could regulate chemicals in plastic and all state laws would be void. If the other so FDA... would supersede all state law. That's correct. And of course The state's right, it's a very funny coalition of people who are pushing that because the traditional people who would support state rights and fight federal preemption over state legislation are the ones being lobbied by the chemical industry to, uh, in fact, allow that. It's uh, strange bedfellows in Washington.
0: Very range, very strange. So this this really, let's look at uh, what was especially striking about BPA is that um, even though you'll see many products boasting BPA-free, there are still such a host of chemicals that are still present in the plastic that it remains harmful to both human health, and environmental. Is that correct? Yes. So
1: it turns out that all plastics today are made with a wide variety of chemical mixtures. And so you can test one chemical that may be one of 30 in a particular product, if you're the manufacturer and then say, yeah. "Oh, that chemical is not showing any estrogenic activity, for instance, because a lot of uh chemicals that I'm interested in uh act like the sex hormone estrogen that is yeah. what is produced in a woman's ovary and mm-hmm. um, it the problem is you don't know what the other, say, 29 chemicals are and what their potential harm is. So this is why um, I am extremely careful what types of plastic I come in contact with. Uh, For instance, I don't ever use or come in contact um, with anything with vinyl chloride, polyvinyl chloride, PVC plastic, because that's made with chlorine and it includes chemicals that uh, are just uh, associated with a horrible array of uh, problems in humans and uh, the same harm has been shown in animals. And these chemicals are called phthalates. They're the lubricating uh, plasticizer chemicals that are added to all polyvinyl chloride. And they're extremely dangerous.
0: Yes. Now, isn't PVC pipe what is used in almost all houses and buildings to replace what used to be lead pipe? Yes, um, actually, PVC
1: is very commonly used in houses. It is not in my house. but um, So one thing that people can do to remove the phthalates that are going to migrate out of the pipe into the water that you're drinking and also uh, bathing in, and you can absorb them into your body during bathing, Um, and this is true for all all kinds of chemicals in uh, water, is to, uh, the ideal would be to have a reverse osmosis unit and carbon filtration, or at the very least, be drinking out of a tap that has a carbon filter associated with it. And they are very inexpensive you can buy them for a few dollars
0: sure i mean i i we've done shows on uh water filtration carbon et cetera i'm i'm kind of familiar with it and there are different levels of carbon filtration all of them are good but there are some that are much beyond what you will find in your say you know mainstream brita filter that's like really lightweight in comparison to other systems that are available and RO reverse osmosis tends to be very wasteful you get a ratio of something like 10 to 1 10 gallons of water that are uh purified that are um processed to about one usable drinkable gallon but there are other you know we don't have to go into all of this now there are uh some really good innovations in filtration like my question is will a standard carbon filter thread be sufficient to capture the phthalates?
1: Well, they'll capture uh, a significant amount of it. And what we're trying to do is anything possible to reduce our exposures to these chemicals. Since polyvinyl chloride is used as fluorine Shower curtains, they're in cosmetics, cosmetics are a huge, personal care products are a huge part of this, Um, and polyvinyl chloride contains BPA as a hardening agent, so this is a kind of plastic that has multiple bad actors in it, and is along with the BPA-based plastic called polycarbonate. Just one, uh, there are two of the plastics that are the absolute worst.
0: Yes. The the PVC and the polycarbonate are the worst.
1: Yes, and unfortunately, there are a host of medical devices and medical equipment in hospitals that use polyvinyl chloride and polycarbonate. And as a result of that, for instance, the Centers for Disease Control went into a neonatal intensive care unit for premature babies and Mm -hmm. found them to be just massively contaminated with phthalates and bisphenol A compared to anybody else in the general population. I mean, there was a, uh, at least one baby that they analyzed uh, who had something like a thousand times higher levels of BPA than many people have. I mean, it's just, it was just horrifying data.
0: So the CDC then, Fred, actually went and, and tested for these chemicals in particular. That's correct, and they have the data right in front of them. Oh yeah, These, you know,
1: the Centers for Disease Control is a center, a government entity, and of um, course. so, um, you know, their data are highly regarded, and um, and what they've shown is that you know the use of these plastics in medical equipment is uh, poses a real serious threat to people. For instance, people who have uh, kidney failure and need dialysis are often being dialyzed with tubing made from polyvinyl chloride and equipment made from polycarbonate. And they're being exposed to phthalates and BPA at incredibly high levels during this extensive uh, blood dialysis that they have to go through. So here
0: they are receiving the therapy using equipment that is actually worsening the condition.
1: That's correct.
0: Okay. Yes. This is how serious the issue is and why we're so glad to have you on discussing this with us today. We are speaking with Dr. Fred Vamsal of University of Missouri, professor, scientist, biologist, who has done really groundbreaking work in the field of examining plastics and their effects on human health as well as the environment. And we're spending the hour today uncovering this and getting down to the real grassroots of it, so we can protect ourselves in a situation where our government uh does not. And in fact, nobody does, because there's so much, multi, multi-billion dollars being generated every year into the uh pockets of the chemical industry, which are essentially running a non-regulated industry. And to add insult to injury, Fred, You know, you're giving the specifics of what shows up with uh, almost, not per chemical, but uh, with an array of chemicals. But what we don't know is what happens when we look at the combination, the confluence of these chemicals so-called synergistically in our water supply or even in our uh, anything that we put on or near our bodies. Isn't that correct?
1: Yes. So, for instance, the phthalates um, in polyvinyl chloride, uh, five of the major phthalates that are used in cosmetics and in uh, children's toys made from polyvinyl chloride and and a whole host of products uh, block testosterone. So they block masculinization, and babies that are born with mothers who have higher levels of phthalates relative to mothers with very low levels of phthalates uh, have abnormal genitals. They have small penises. The scrotal area is not formed normally. Their testes, This are human data. These are data from people. Uh, their uh, testes don't descend normally. They end up with low testosterone levels because the phthalates are blocking uh, testosterone. They end up with uh, low sperm count. Uh, they're more prone to premature birth, allergy, and asthma, and obesity. So. The main
0: action of these phthalates. Why would to, why would obesity be one of the characteristics?
1: Well, we think because Does it phthalates the are actually operating through uh, as and with bisphenol A also multiple systems. And so you asked a very good question because BPA is also associated with obesity and diabetes, heart disease, mm-hmm. and, um, and we actually, I have a grant from the National Institutes of Health to look at the gene pathways involved in uh, creating an obese animal after exposure to BPA, and we're trying to figure out how it's causing the obesity. And yes. we have some insights into that, but it is a phenomenally complicated
0: set of events. Does it look like it's, it's adversely affecting, to be on the on the simpler side, simple metabolic function?
1: Yes. Well, so thyroid function. Um, yes. So bisphenol A uh, alters. The production of insulin in your pancreas alters your response to insulin so you can't regulate glucose properly, and it programs genes in your fat cells so that fat cells take up more fat in the presence of BPA than they would otherwise, even though the animals are eating less, they are gaining more weight, and we've published that in a
0: peer-reviewed journal when was that published uh just last year just last year this is phenomenal you are upsetting my audience fred (laughs) you're upsetting all of us (laughs) but in a way that we have to be upset so i am really grateful don't get me wrong i'm playing with you this is Mitchell J. Raven for A Better World. Thanks so much for joining us. As mentioned before, we are spending the hour speaking with Dr. Fred Bumsall, uh professor uh University of Missouri, uh, talking about the research that he has conducted and the research that he has aggregated about plastics in our environment, plastics in our body, its, a, it's a pathology effects on our health, all the way to the neutralization, or I should say, neuterization of the of human gender. It's a profoundly serious issue. Lowering sperm count, everything connected to uh, our sexual activity and uh, even enjoyment. If uh, if parts are reduced and diminished, et cetera, et cetera. This is A Better World, as I said, and if you do not yet get our newsletter, please go to our website, www.abetterworld.tv. It's there for free every week, announcing our weekly shows, a Monday night at 7, television show, a Monday night at 9, show on progressive films and documentaries, speaking with either the filmmakers and or experts in the field of the given subject of the film. On Progressive Radio Network, you don't want to miss that, and of course, uh, the uh, main the main attraction, A Better World Radio, here on Blog Talk Radio every single week at 6 p.m. So, Professor Vansal, let us continue with this investigation. Uh, it is linked the presence. The ubiquitous presence, I keep saying, because it is wherever you look. In fact, just this morning, I don't know if uh, nature knew I was going to be interviewing you tonight, but uh, a couple of plastic bags as I was running by the East River went right before my nose. Of course, I picked them up and threw them in the trash, but most people don't do that, and it's just another sign of their ubiquity, and they're just everywhere. So, yeah. uh what let's go back, if we could, to the fact that the PVC is used in all construction of houses and buildings everywhere as a less expensive alternative to what was standard piping, which wasn't healthy in the first place. Do you have any idea of what might be an alternative to that for green builders, for instance?
1: Well, there's another material uh that's sold for interior use and in houses, and it's called PEX PEX tubing. And uh you buy one color for hot water and another color for cold water. And yeah. The problem is that um, I am unaware of uh, what kind of toxicological analyses have been done on the various chemicals that would be in PEX tubing. We know polyvinyl chloride is a disaster, but this gets back to the issue that you raised, which is um, you know, this, these are unregulated chemicals. We know nothing about them. And this issue of synergistic interaction. So I just talked about PVC containing a chemical that demasculinizes males. The other side of that is that bisphenol A is an estrogen. So if you're carrying a male baby and you've got phthalates in you, you're blocking the ability of that male body to form normally by blocking testosterone. And I think it's not a stretch for any of your listeners to understand that putting an estrogen into the body of a male, particularly during development, but at any time in life, is going to wreak havoc, just like, for instance, a male taking birth control pills is not going to have the normal body functions of a male. Mm -hmm. And so these two sets of chemicals, one blocking testosterone and the other stimulating estrogen responses, many of which are antagonistic to testosterone, is just going to be chaos for males and it turns out that we know through a horrible experience through millions of women being treated with a drug during pregnancy called des diethylstilbestrol, that oh, yeah. some estrogens are also extremely dangerous for developing girls and uh, can lead to ultimately uh, breast cancer and uterine cancer, disruption of uh, normal ovarian function, uh, and in the case of BPA, serious disruption of normal brain function, and in particular disruption of um, memory and parts of the brain having to do with learning and memory
0: and is there a masculinizing effect to the synergy of these chemicals for a woman so it has the opposite effect as with boys well this the answer is
1: it seems that way and um, I've been working on these issues for 40 years And what we see with these chemicals is that they are demasculinizing males and defeminizing females and making, In when we do studies in animals, we have big sex differences in all kinds of brain function and organ function Mm -hmm. between males and females. And when they're exposed to these chemicals, Those differences are not there. We have, we are altering males to make them more female-like and altering the females to make them more male-like. And while we understand to a large degree what's going on in the males, what, how this is working in the female body to to have the opposite effect, we don't have a good handle on that. But it's happening. We just don't understand at the molecular level as well what's going on in female bodies.
0: You know, this really helps to explain, Fred, uh, what seems uh, or preponderance of uh, sex issues among younger people and the systemic, seemingly, uh, or near ubiquity of diabetes and obesity among, again, young people in our society. It's, it, it, there haven't been a lot of really good explanations. We, of course, look at the uh, the corruption of the food chain uh, with GMOs and, uh, other. I mean, so many toxins, so many chemicals, so many poisons and uh, under different guises in our food supply. Then, what it is that holds the food and everything else, like you mentioned toys earlier, and everything is prepackaged and packaged and post packaged with plastic, so the opportunity to come into touch with plastic is it, it's it's virtually non stop since our radio show uh just last week i've been noticing more than ever, and i for one have been rather tuned into the issue of plastic but that was nothing in comparison to after speaking with you and listening to what you had to share with our audience uh how how truly ubiquitous it is wherever you go you're dealing with one form of plastic or another everything is contained in plastic except for a few glass containers. That's how you So it is. So it's going. To, you know, I would like you, if you would, to, uh, I, will, of course, want to hear what you have to say in response, but I also want you to debunk what appears to be a myth, which is that, um, certainly one that I have been abused by, if you will, which is that if you use the same plastic containers over and over again, let's say for food storage, that they become non-porous after a while and stop emitting whatever, you know, looser molecules might be around in the earlier new stages of uh, plastic containers, say. Or, uh, also, if you would, disabuse us of this notion that there's an idea of non-porous plastic.
1: Okay. Well, So, just to answer that question and then uh, go on to something else I want to say, we published uh, in the NIH Journal Environmental Health Perspectives uh, a little over 10 years ago that for polycarbonate, as it ages, the amount of leaching can increase as much as a thousand fold reaching BPA. So anybody who tells you that these chemicals stop coming out of these
0: plastics as the plastic ages, Mm. that's, uh, I can assure you, that's crazy. An oxymoron. Yeah. Okay. In fact, what you're saying is
1: it's actually the opposite.
0: Well, it's dramatically the opposite.
1: Dramatically. dramatically Geometrically. if If you're a parent, And you have baby bottles that you've had around for a while that are old enough because nobody's making polycarbonate baby bottles anymore. The public didn't like them. Polycarbonate is BPA, okay? Yeah. And um, once they become somewhat cloudy and etched, their leaching of BPA is incredibly increased. That's published. That's not uh, uh, nonsense. It is. There is a huge amount of scientific evidence supporting that, not only from my lab, but from many other uh, analyses that have been done. But the second thing I wanted to mention that follows up on your statement that there's so much plastic, there are yeah. seven billion, with a B, pounds of plastic made a year and put into products, a huge number of which are one-time use products that are thrown away. Oh, and the, the environmental consequences uh, are just staggering because we're, we're talking about just astronomical amounts of garbage. So,
0: uh, it's a really... Shoo on that one, folks! I'm, yeah. Yeah. This is the disposable age, and it's going to dispose of our very species. That's a problem. And,
1: you know, one of the things that uh, is important is that uh, very clever people realized that the recycling code had never been licensed and that anybody could use it in any way they wanted to. The recycling symbol, the arrows. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so in reality, um, only the ethylene-based plastics, um, polyethylene terephthalate, number one, that you're all these Billions and billions of water-containing one-use bottles are made of. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Um, a milk jugs and other kinds of things, detergent bottles and water jugs. Um, the bigger ones are made of number two plastic, called high-density polyethylene. Those are the only two that can be recycled in my community. Okay. Uh You you would not ever recycle polyvinyl chloride because um, when that's reprocessed, you're going to release chlorine and um, create dioxin, all right? So um, the uh, other thing is, for instance, BPA is used to make what is called a thermoset plastic that cannot be recycled and reused to make other plastics. So um, it can only be thrown away or used for a couple of specialized processes like making plastic wood or something. But they're not able to be put into recycling bins. So they've got a recycling code. Polycarbonate has a recycling code of number seven on it, but it's not recyclable. So it is very clever marketing
0: but it's completely yes. dishonest. Totally. Totally. Now, there is a numbering system, as you're saying, regarding plastics, and I imagine a relative porosity or non-porosity, as you want to look at it. Is there any true scientific basis to that, Fred, about there being something relatively safer than another level of type of plastic? Well, the answer
1: is, since they're all combinations of chemicals, and all of the chemicals are kept secret from the public, um, you have to assume that there are unsafe chemicals in every plastic. We do know that polyvinyl chloride, is, um, has dangerous chemicals in it. And yeah. the vinyl chloride itself, the monomer itself, is a carcinogen, okay? So um, that's number three plastic. You just do anything you can to stay away from it. And number seven plastic polycarbonate, the hard, clear uh that has PC on it as polycarbonate, that's Mm -hmm. bad news. Everything else, we know so little about what's in them. I just assume they're all dangerous. And one of the things we know is that under heat, chemicals are going to migrate more rapidly than it's cold. So if you're going to use any kind of plastic use it to freeze things in, never stick it in the microwave, never stick it in a dishwasher. Actually, your dishwasher will say do not put plastic items in the bottom. What they really mm. should say is do not put plastic items in here at all at because all. it's going to degrade as a result of yeah. going through a sanitizing cycle.
0: And the, and the heat cycle, exactly. So. You So what we see is uh, you've mentioned diabetes, you've mentioned obesity, you've mentioned, I'm going to just use the phrase, neuterization of both genders. Um, you've mentioned carcinogens. Is cancer um, a relatively, based on the research that you have done or have been uh, witness to or have uh, digested yourself, is cancer a routine expression of our exposure to plastics? Well, so specifically
1: for bisphenol A, uh, develop exposure during uh, fetal life or in a sense childhood, for instance, or during puberty, can, uh, in animal studies, lead to breast cancer, and prostate cancer, okay? So, in, and... Is it because those tissues are most vulnerable? At, prostate cancer, believe it or not, is uh, is uh, to, in, based on the work we and others have done, to a substantial mm. degree, based on exposure to estrogens, and mm, so is, yeah. and everybody, Uh, Any doctor will tell uh, a woman that the best predictor of breast cancer is uh, lifetime exposure to estrogen, and BPA is a man-made synthetic estrogen that in the 1930s was considered for use as a drug over 20 years before it was used to make plastic plastic and baby bottles, it was considered for use as a fertility drug because it was known in the 30s, 1930s, to be a synthetic estrogen. That's not new information. And how the plastic industry could have made a product out of a sex hormone is just incomprehensible. incomprehensible, but this is a huge problem we face is that um, once something gets into commerce it's impossible to get rid of it.
0: Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, very good point. Now let's turn our attention, unless there are other searing facts you feel we definitely need to know, before we start looking at ways to avoid plastic and also deal with this situation. Are there other points? I mean, you've made many uh, on the downside of plastics. Well, we haven't really touched upon um, uh, plastics in the environment, which we know about in terms of uh, their effect in the oceans, their effect in landfill. Do you want to just say a few words about that? Yes, so one of the things that um,
1: some people will say is, oh, the ethylene-based plastics are, you know, not as big a problem, for instance, as polyvinyl chloride and BPA-based uh, plastics, which would be polycarbonate. And while that may be to some degree true in terms of use in food packaging, um the problem is that these plastics are being thrown away, and literally hundreds of billions of one use water bottles, for instance, are ending up in the ocean, and they photo degrade into microparticles, very small particles, that are mm-hmm. taken up by the smallest organisms at the bottom of the food chain in the ocean. And then those organisms are eaten by larger organisms that are eaten by larger organisms, and eventually the top predator fish that we're out there catching and eating. And this process of moving up through the food chain results in what is called biomagnification, where at every step, each of those organisms is concentrating those chemicals in the body and then carrying that more concentrated uh, package to the next level of organism that's eating it, the larger fish. And so you can get uh, literally thousands of fold increase in concentrations. And these microparticles are attaching to dioxin uh, and uh, PAHs, to uh, uh, polyvinyl chloride uh, and uh, other persistent organic pollutants like DDT that are still around because they have such a long lifespan before they degrade. So what you have is essentially a carrier of pollutants being these little ethylene microparticles that are then associating with these other really dangerous chemicals and vectoring them through the food chain so um there is tremendous concern uh among aquatic biologists over this issue and um uh, it's uh, nobody is sees any end in sight to this other than to try to get people to stop using plastics, uh particularly the one use throw away kind of plastic that is just uh massively contaminating the ocean. And the other point I think is it's really critical to make for people is do whatever you can to try to get food packaging chemicals listed on labels. Um, Because if it's a law that any major component of the food in a can, for instance, has to be identified, the chemicals that are leaking out of the packaging into the food that you and your children are eating, they should be identified as well. And the plastics industry has managed to block that kind of legislation. And there's absolutely no way to protect yourself uh, against something that you're not able to find out about. And so knowledge is power, and the reason the plastic industry doesn't want you to know what those chemicals are is they know a lot of them are unsafe. Like, they know BPA is unsafe. They know phthalates are unsafe. They're just going to use them until uh, the public won't buy the products
0: anymore. Right, until there's major public outcry. Yes. Yes. But uh, it really comes down
1: to the last issue of I have very low levels of these chemicals in me because BPA lines cans, and a major source of BPA exposure is to eat and drink anything out of a can. So I don't do that. My wife and I, uh, our daughter, you know, we do not use canned products
0: of you know, just so, are there any can? I mean, canning in tin. I think that was the original. A canning is a process that's been happening on, let's say, the uh, the rural farm for centuries. Uh, yes. Are you saying that that all canning processes are engaging the leaching of of such chemicals?
1: Well, the interesting answer to that is that the um, NAMPA, the National um, Metal Packaging Association, says that if you don't have bisphenol-A lining cans, you will die of botulism and other nonsense. And then what it turns out is that the only cans that do not have BPA lining them because uh, uh, the metal does lead to a detectable taste in the food, but mm-hmm. th- right fruit, such as fruit cocktail, for instance, in a can, yeah. if you open up the can and you look inside it, you'll see that there's no plastic lining. And if you put water in that can, the inside of the can will rust very rapidly because uh-huh. the metal actually blocks the light fruit from discoloring it. It blocks oxidation of the yeah. fruit after taking it out of the can. Of course, you have to empty You can't leave anything in that can. You've got to get everything out of it quickly. But yeah. it it does show you that there are cans out there that are used that have no BPA lining, but virtually all other kinds of products. If you look at the inside of the can, you'll see that it has a lining, and that lining is made from a BPA based
0: resin. And, and you can identify can, that? You can identify that. I mean, for instance, fish like uh, salmon or sardines. Are those uh, types of cans BPA lined, and can you identify
1: that? The answer is
0: absolutely, and not only that,
1: the oil in there is going to very uh, nicely extract the BPA out of the can lining. Things like tomato sauce are really bad
0: actors. Highly acidic. uh, Right.
1: Pulls a lot more BPA out than other kind of products, for instance.
0: Right, because of the acidity of the tomatoes. From so box.
1: Coca-Cola, uh, highly acidic. Uh, that's going to be a real, uh, you know, those cans. Uh, and Coke acknowledges their cans are lined with BPA.
0: Uh,
1: and but essentially, uh, aside from the light-colored fruit. Uh, Assume the can is lined with BPA, and that it's putting BPA into that food that you're eating out of the can. Mm -hmm. So the other thing is receipt paper. Airline tickets, um, ATM machine receipts uh, that are printed with a thermal stylus are coated with massive amounts of bisphenol A or a recent BPA-free substitute called BPS, which is just as bad as BPA, if not even worse. And when you touch receipt paper, you are transferring massive amounts of BPA to your hand, and this can go right through your skin, just like you can deliver sex hormones to a woman through a patch on her skin, Uh, These chemicals are uh, uh, not, uh,
0: there's no barrier to them penetrating the skin. We are completely permeable and they are completely emissive, meaning emitting.
1: One of the things we found is that women, for instance, who use a lot of moisturizers, moisturizing lotion, or hand sanitizers and things, if they have chemicals in them that are referred to as drug-enhancing uh, delivery chemicals. And what they do is they dramatically break down the uh, skin barriers to penetration by chemicals so that the use of these products dramatically and and cosmetics are loaded with phthalates when you see fragrance on a cosmetic it's typically a phthalate all right Mm -hmm. and uh so both men and women who are using a lot of these products are then creating a situation in which they're exposed to the chemicals in those products and they're also then much more likely to be susceptible to absorption of other bad chemicals they come in contact with. So I don't use any kind of fragrance, and I don't use a lot of these lotions. And there's a website called the Environmental Working Group, ewg.org, that has a lot of information about um uh, Cosmetics and other products uh, that are rated in terms of their chemical safety, and another website called EnvironmentalHealthNews.org, uh, uh, all one word, Environmental Health News, where you can mm-hmm. get all kinds of accurate scientific information relating to the issues that we've discussed here. And the one thing you want to do is stay away from industry-sponsored websites. If the American Chemistry Council is involved in a website, you can assume it's being produced by lawyers and public relations people, not scientists.
0: Yes, indeed. What are the other, are are there other, uh, let's say, cosmetics companies? I, I remember hearing about, Aubrey as one of those companies that is relatively uh just the material itself, the substances they make, the ingredients are pure, but even then they're packaged in
1: plastic. Yes, and this is uh this is why for specific products, um websites such as the Environmental Working Group um and safecosmetics.org uh can really be helpful because um you can't tell from the price of something whether uh it is safe or hazardous. Mhm.
0: Yes. But if you even if you have a pure shampoo for instance as an example Yet it's yeah, well, contained in plastic. What is the net result? Yeah, uh, so of course, uh, what you're
1: pointing out is we really need to know what's in packaging. If yeah. by law you have to know what the components are of the material within the package, and the package yeah. is putting dangerous chemicals into. Whatever is inside the packaging, you really need legislation to demand labeling of those chemicals.
0: So they can be identified. Both. What you're saying, Fred, is we need regulation that speaks to both the contents as well every bit as much as the um the packaging. Yes, and The European Union,
1: a number of years ago, passed legislation called REACH that actually is going to force chemicals in commerce to be tested, and if they are shown to have the kind of damaging effects that we've talked about for, say, phthalates and BPA, they're going to be restricted in terms of their use. Uh, Incidentally, I just uh, got an email that uh, Senator Edward Markey uh, has um, uh, proposed legislation to ban BPA from use in food packaging in the United States. Now, our Congress isn't capable of passing any kind of rational legislation, it seems,
0: but there is
1: a legislation that would uh, really be valuable at the federal level.
0: Exactly, exactly. You know, let, let me go into what you, your wife, and your daughter do, because you're exemplary in, because you know so much, and you've done so much of the research in your own lab and has been funded as such, and you're, you know, tapped on the shoulder to go around the world to speak to other scientists, government officials, etc. What other steps do you take to protect yourselves uh, from the effects of BPA, the phthalates, and all of the other plastics? So the
1: the first is to try to use as little plastic as possible. For instance, I have a stainless steel water container. I don't buy bottled water, which is just bottled tap water anyway. I mean, there's there's no regulation at at all. And uh, so you're paying money for something that is just, you have no idea where they got it from. They could have gotten it from the Mississippi River, for heaven's sakes. I mean, it doesn't, you know, there's no laws. And so we don't use plastics as, uh, and if we do freeze something, we tend to use the number five plastic, uh, polypropylene, which Mm -hmm. um, we don't put hot things into And we never put in the dishwasher, and we don't put it in the microwave to thaw anything in it. So the Uh other thing that we're very careful about is any plastic that we do have, we never subject to heat. Right. um, Because that increases the danger uh, associated with using it, and it also degrades the plastic so
0: though yes. so it becomes it, it it crosses crosses that threshold of leaching a thousand times more readily that's that's correct that uh, yeah. over time these are products that
1: um you know degrade uh and they i think degrade. you can see that in many of these sure. clear plastics over time they're not clear anymore and that means that water is penetrating them, they're scratching, and um, they're going to be leaching uh,
0: more material whatever leached. they have exactly, in Exactly, exactly.
1: The microwave so itself
0: has its own subject for a discussion, but we don't have the time for that today. <laughs> but, uh, so the, um, the really big thing So it's uh, number five, polypropylene, is uh, less, less toxic... So well, awesome. well, the base material is,
1: but again, my assumption is that um, if you were to heat it up, and there are probably dozens of chemicals in whatever polypropylene plastic exists out there, and we don't have any idea what they are. What we do know is molecular movement slows down as a function of decreasing temperature. So if you freeze something, the likelihood of extensive leaching is going to decrease as the temperature goes down, and it's going to increase as the temperature goes up. So if you heat a plastic, you can expect bad things to happen. So if you're going to use plastics, use them to freeze things in uh, or refrigerate.
0: So number five... Polypropylene, you do use, and do you resort as much as possible to uh, the use of glass? Yes. And so that
1: was the other thing I was going to say. Actually, the glass industry asked me a long time ago if I'd serve on a, one of their boards, and I said, yes. no, because that would create the, alu- the uh, appearance that I yeah. would have a conflict of interest, and I, right. you, I support the use of glass, and you don't sure. need to pay me any money to do that. So I, I have to right One of the important things here is I have no financial association with anything to do with plastics or glass, alternatives, I have no investments. I am absolutely not conflicted And if I were, NIH wouldn't be funding me to work on this because you have to file an extensive conflict of interest form in order to have federal support.
0: That's interesting. Meanwhile, Congress is getting biased support, and they take money from everybody. But when it comes to dishing out the money to their own constituents, they're extremely severe. <laughs> well, at least there's some credibility and integrity somewhere.
1: <laughs> and I strongly they have the think idea. That, that we we need to have unbiased science being done by people who do not have really blatant conflicts of interest.
0: On that so. note, I totally agree with you. Could you bring up the subject I mentioned at the very beginning of the program regarding uh, the toxicology studies and testing that was known as traditional—it's you reference its flaws and what you did to ameliorate this as best you could.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm actually trained not in toxicology but in uh, the study of hormones and endocrinology, and mm-hmm. it was an astonishment. For me, when I stumbled along with my colleagues here at the University of Missouri, into the fact that BPA is able to cause effects at an amount 25,000 times lower than anybody had ever tested in the toxicological testing world. And that's because toxicologists assume that they can test a very high level of something, and it's predictive of what any chemical will do at a very low concentration. And actually, you're taught in introductory endocrinology that that's for all hormones. That's false. That very high levels of hormones shut off the systems that they activate at very, very small concentrations. Most of the hormones I study are biologically active at a number that most people can't conceive of, and that's in the part per trillion. A a trillionth of a gram of something causes an effect, but if you increase that up to a millionth of a gram, you'll actually shut down that response. So the basic principle of toxicology that more is worse is actually taught in endocrinology to not be true. And to find out that there was a field of science that was unaware of that was really quite stunning. And all regulatory safe levels for the very small number of chemicals that have ever been tested because actually there's practically no chemical testing for anything that's in the plastics we're talking about and the only reason we know what we know about bpa is we and some other people stumbled into the fact that it is a phenomenally potent uh sex hormone like chemical and it can cause effects at incredibly low doses compared to what a toxicologist would ever have studied. And so we're trying to convince the regulatory system, the EPA and the FDA, that if you're going to study something that acts like a hormone, you have to apply the principles of endocrinology and hormone biology to study that chemical. And so far, they have refused to accept that as rational, even though the endocrine society, the medical and research endocrinologists in the United States and the rest of the world have come, up, come out uh, two years ago with a formal society position document saying that the United States regulatory system, has to use the principles of endocrinology to study hormonally active chemicals like BPA, and um, so far, the government has completely rejected that position. It's
0: astounding. It's astounding. Uh, Let me just make sure I, I get this. Uh, You said more is worse. Uh, That may actually be true, but the point is that the endocrine disruption, if I understand you correctly, Fred, begins with the tiniest, even what you referred to as one trillionth of the presence of the chemical is enough to trigger a hormonal reaction. Isn't that what you're saying? Yes, and that is
1: totally unpredicted by considering that is just a poison that you need lots
0: of in order for it to poison you Think right, of it right and now, what you're saying is you need the tiniest tracest amount almost what you could call a homeopathic dose where it hardly even exists is sufficient to trigger a hormonal reaction that could lead to other harmful, deleterious effects?
1: Yeah, we don't want to get into the issue of homeopathic medicine here, but um, because this is a little bit different. it's uh, That's uh, not mechanistically based, whereas in endocrinology, we're able to look at the receptor molecules for hormones in cells look exactly at what level of hormone is needed to activate them and what level of hormone shuts down the production of the receptor system. So it's a self-regulating system, and there are very standard techniques in endocrinology for determining exactly the potency and the efficacy of hormonal drug-like chemicals, and that includes BPA. And it was that type of approach that led us to absolutely turn the BPA industry on its ear and uh, identify that this chemical was capable of acting like a hormone because we just applied basic principles of hormone biology to study it. We didn't develop any kind of revolutionary idea. We just applied the core principles of endocrinology to studying a chemical that acts like a hormone.
0: Yes, I understand. So the bottom line of that is that the assumptions that were made by toxicologists Uh, many years ago regarding what is the point of when we say uh, certain elements are safe, you know, and they start to become toxic over a certain amount, number of units per million. What we find out, and in the case of BPA at least, and that's because you've studied it so thoroughly, it's actually as small an amount as, and please correct me if I'm mistaken, one trillion, of a unit is sufficient to trigger an, an endocrine reaction. Yes, so this paper I told you about
1: where we identified metabolic disruption in mice, the, yeah. we saw metabolic I mean, disruption of a whole host of metabolic processes in mice exposed to fetuses to two trillionths of a gram of BPA per milliliter of blood. And that type of finding is absolutely a nightmare for traditional toxicology that declared that part per million literally uh, amounts, uh, you know, a million times higher or more would be completely safe and would never cause any kind of harm.
0: Incredible. We must have something like a Hubble, the equil- a microscope the equivalent of the Hubble telescope to be able to deduct, or to deduce uh, the presence of a trillion of a gram. <laughs> but that's another conversation. Uh, let's come back then to the story that you had told me of the utterly defiant perspective the FDA uh, presented you when you spoke with them and your colleagues about the truth of uh, BPA and the other chemicals and their unwillingness to budge on their position. Uh,
1: So the Pew
0: Foundation that
1: many Uh, listeners will be familiar with. Um, Looking into this issue, decided to have a group of endocrinologists that had published a major review on the issue of applying endocrine principles to uh, the study of chemicals and BPA and uh, literally hundreds of other chemicals and this was a review article with over 800 references from the endocrine literature, and um, the Pew Foundation asked us to present a series of lectures over about a six-hour period to all of the senior officials in the Food and Drug Administration. I mean, many of them were there: the Assistant Commissioner uh, and all the people from the Risk Assessment Division, and so we went and we gave all these lectures and to everyone's absolute horror uh i was uh, the meeting pretty much ended up with one of the chief people that is responsible for telling you that bpa is safe literally standing in my face and yelling and waving his finger about an inch from the nose. wagging his how, finger. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, literally just, you know, shaking his finger at me and in really somewhat of a rage and yelling, how can you think we can change what we're doing? We can't change what we're doing. This is, you know, totally unacceptable. You're, you know, what you're talking about. and um, and this is an old guy, and it's the ultimate example of don't ever try to teach an old dog a new trick because, I mean, this guy is like a uh, – his brain is essentially like a brick. Anyway, uh, everybody was blocked out of this meeting in just a state of shock.
0: that We could
1: not believe that these physicians and people with PhDs in supposedly a field of the life sciences and who are involved in supposedly protecting the public health, would respond to information that basically says, you know, there are some principles of endocrinology that you should be aware of, and you have to apply them to assess the safety of chemicals, that interfere with the endocrine system. These are endocrine-disrupting chemicals. And this is the phthalates and BPA and um, many other components of plastic. And um, so the Pew Foundation set up a meeting for us to go do it in Europe, to the European regulatory uh, agencies from all over Europe. We had a meeting in Berlin with a very different outcome. Uh, You know, the total rejection by the FDA was not what we found in the European agencies and the European Commission. And many countries in Europe are moving very aggressively to regulate these chemicals differently. And eventually, the FDA will be like the end of the tail of the dog, that's just getting wagged yeah. by the rest of the world because they're not competent or capable of yeah. um learning something new and accepting that maybe they what they're doing now isn't right. And this is not a culture. The FDA culture is not willing to accept it. It's it's supposedly why the drug biox was left on the market by FDA administrators while it supposedly caused 130,000 heart attacks.
0: And -hmm. they were aware of this. And And led to approximately 60,000 deaths. And who knows, innumerable uh, injury.
1: Yeah, and Merck stock went down 50% when... It finally was the whistleblower, David Graham, came out and said yeah. the FDA is treating its regulated corporations as clients, and um, this is certainly the case for BPA, and he, he at that time about Biox said Vioxx is just the tip of the iceberg,
0: and mm-hmm. BPA
1: is another example of the FDA protecting an industry at the expense of the public health, and yeah. Part of it is not that they're necessarily taking bribes or anything. It's part of a culture that just will not acknowledge that they may have done something that wasn't right. Although the decisions they made, you know, 50 years ago, were before any of this information was known. So... The question is, are they able to respond to the new science? And the answer is, the people running the FDA are not able
0: to do that. That is the definitive answer at this moment in time. When did that meeting uh, sponsored by the Pew Foundation occur? June of 2012. Not very long ago. And nothing, it's only gotten
1: worse since then. Uh, They've become more and more hostile and more and more aggressive at trying to defend their position that BPA is safe. Including publishing uh, an FDA scientist publishing an article that um, a number of scientists wrote to FDA officials saying it's blatant fraud. And uh, they would not acknowledge that. Uh, there it's are. Serious, yeah, go ahead. A very, it's a very serious problem, as it was with biox, the drug, an agency yeah. that does not want to acknowledge that what they're doing isn't 100% correct. Yeah. A- and they can't protect the public health. And put blinders on when extensive data shows that they've taken a wrong position?
0: Well, the the economic structure is that a large part, I don't remember it could be even up to 40% or more but I I seem to recall it's 40% is actually funded privately by the pharmaceutical industry. 60%, I mean again I'm, I'm just Vaguely remembering numbers uh, is government funded and the rest is really privately funded so they Feel that their jobs are actually on the line if they do not toe the the story of the pharmaceuticals and they never do their own Independent science they're always taking the word of the corporate science so At the end of the day, we have to see that there are two, at least, but two major forms of science. One is that corporately funded, which has a bias at the outset. And then there's independent science, which you are able, thankfully, to conduct with NIH grants and whatever else you get, where you are actually empowered to do, let's say, call it real science, without an inherent bias from the outset. Is so, that a fair thing to say?
1: Yeah. What is interesting that relates to what you just said is the last risk assessment done by the Food and Drug Administration for BPA, They re- the person who conducted that risk assessment, uh, who coordinated it, his name was Mitchell Cheeseman, he is now a managing director of one of the major law firms, uh, lobbying firms, and his job is to essentially lobby the FDA. And he was, he coordinated this risk assessment. And when it went in front of the Science Review Board in 2008, the Science Review Board rejected it as being unscientific and uh, unsupported, uh, that it did not uh, support the science, and what the FDA officials had done is they had rejected all studies, hundreds and hundreds at that time, of studies done by independent investigators, and they made their... Higher risk assessment based on two corporate-funded studies that were severely criticized as being profoundly flawed studies. And the science board totally rejected the FDA risk assessment and told them to just essentially throw it out and start again. And they have never done that.
0: Awesome. You know, we have to come to the conclusion, Fred, that what we're dealing with here is simply privatized government. It's a corporatocracy. And what goes on with the FDA and the EPA are but uh, small symptoms of the larger problem that the entirety of our government. We, the people, has been co-opted by private corporate interests. And so from that point of view, it's not surprising at all that there's a revolving door at the FDA between Big Pharma and who ends up with positions there, or Monsanto, and who ends up with positions, and we can name the names, and the... and the. Uh, time frames in which they served, either in government agencies, such as these two, and others, and when they go back to the the mothership, so to speak, they go back to the corporation for a boost in salary and for a nice pension plan. And it's just been, I I mean, I've been aware of this since, you know, the late 80s or so, and uh, I've been watching this, and I I, I still cringe at what I see as the sober truth of the situation, and you have a front row seat to it, and you've been there having your uh, someone's finger wagged in your face, who is supposedly a physician who has been hired by the American people to protect them. And there you have it, that one story, and I know there are many others, and just to add insult to injury, and in wrapping this up, this awesomely wonderful and useful conversation for us all, uh, here, Fred, is that it hasn't gone just that far of your, of fingers being wagged in your face, but they've actually sought, uh, big business at least, uh, to discredit you and your science to discredit you personally and to discredit your science all at the same time. They have not succeeded, but you have been tagged, you have been trailed. Just tell us a little bit about that part, if you would.
1: Well, um, so uh, I've been told by a reporter who had documents that uh, industry, had hired people to go through my garbage, and had uh, uh, people following me while I was, had a meeting in Washington, D.C., said, were you in D.C. on these dates? I checked and I said, well, yes. Well, yes, there was a private investigator who was uh, following you around. And, but I've always known this because whenever I give a talk anywhere, there are people in the audience who um, clearly don't belong there and mm. often ask absolutely inane questions but are, that are designed to just sort of be disruptive. And yes. one of the funniest examples of this occurred in yes. Japan
0: where, uh-huh.
1: unexpected by the chemical industry, I had done a study in the, that was supposedly that was published by the plastic industry, and it was supposedly a repeat of a study that I had done and published, but they had made some very interesting changes. In particular, they used the kind of food that we found had contamination issues, and altered the animals to the point where it masked the effect of bpa but the animals were clearly abnormal and i did the study exactly the way the industry did it and i found exactly what they found you know they're very very clever at doing this uh-huh. These people are not stupid
0: uh-huh. And
1: so the person in the audience hired by industry was reading from a piece of paper and stood up, and there were a thousand people at this meeting in uh, in Japan. It was very heavily attended. And uh-huh. he stands at the microphone and he said, "Well, you are claiming that you can't, you do not believe any industry study, and none of them are repeatable." And I, and everybody in the audience started laughing because that was exactly the opposite of what I had actually said, and I said, I guess you were asleep during my talk, because no, that's not what I said, and, but that's what the piece of paper told him to say, and he said he got very flustered and left, so anyway, that goes on all the time. They always are paying people to follow me around, and Um, But it hasn't made any difference. The scientific community doesn't pay any attention to that.
0: Yes, two distractors. Uh, Well, I just thank you truly, as does the audience, for your courage in dealing with all of this, your persistence, the integrity in your science, and your outspokenness about what it is you know about the nature of the plastic industry, about uh, hormone endocrine disruptors, and the facts of how uh, these plastics and these chemicals are linked to human diseases, and not just human, but just for the moment sticking to that of immense proportion. And you're highlighting, of course, the lack of political will to do anything about it, because they're all bought and paid for in one form or another. I don't claim to know all the details, I don't, but it is obvious that there is no political will for agencies such as the FDA and the APA to be really looking after the people for whom they are supposed to be in service, to whom. And uh, you've really highlighted all of that in today's show. I just thank you deeply for your good work. Well,
1: um, I just, in ending, I'd like to say that there are some, these websites such as endocrinedisruption.com and the environmentalworkinggroup.org and environmentalhealthnews.org that are excellent resources for your listeners to go to uh, and get uh, accurate scientific information about these issues. uh, And... I encourage your listeners to do that.
0: Thank you. Thank you. You mentioned the other two first earlier, and the one you just added to that is endocrinedisruption.com. Yes. and that's, In addition to ewg.org, everyone, and uh, environmentalhealthnews.org. Yes. Right. So um,
1: anyway, uh, There is uh, accurate information out there for people. There are also many industry websites that uh, you just uh, assume that uh, that's public relations, not science, and just try to uh, identify them and avoid them. Exactly.
0: That's wonderful. Well, again, Dr. Fred Vamsal, I so appreciate all of your good work, and uh, we will be speaking again because it's very important for us to keep this information out in front of everyone so they can make good use of it.
1: Well, it's been a pleasure uh, talking with you, Mitchell, and uh, keep up the good work
0: yourself. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We'll be be in touch. Thanks again for everything today. Okay. Good evening. Now. Well, you heard it from truly one of the leaders in the industry on the side of science and uh, the side of uh, the truth. And uh, he, you also learned about the personal choices he makes in light of what he has learned uh, for him and his family. And uh, that should be an indication to all of us about the... Uh, of this situation. So, thank you all for joining us today. I know it's a longer show than usual, but when you have someone as uh, rigorous as Dr. Valmsall, you want to make as good use of this information. So, please take this show. You can find it on our website at abetterworld.tv and truly share it with all those you love and even those you don't. It doesn't matter. This is a human issue and our species is actually in jeopardy as well as all of the fish in the ocean and then on the higher end of that food chain believe it or not higher uh, we eat that food which means that we are then therefore ingesting those thousands and millions of degraded parts of the plastic chemicals as he Said so eloquently earlier in the show so this is Mitchell J Raven. thanks again for joining us go to our website and uh, get to be part of a better world community and you do that simply by uh, by um, getting on the uh, newsletter which you can sign up for very easily go into the archive and look around both on a better world radio and um, under radio archive you'll see our growing body of material under PRN, Progressive Radio Network as well, where every Monday night at 9, I am hosting and producing the show where we highlight uh, different progressive films. In fact, Dr. Lumsal was a guest just a little over a week ago with the filmmaker Suzanne Barraza of Bagot, an excellent film that if you haven't seen you can go to our website it's listed there somehow for you to download it or to buy it and uh, see it because it uh, really makes the case very strongly in a very large way about what fred was sharing with us today so thanks again and i look forward to seeing you all